0: Welcome to the Coast to Coast Podcast. We are back here with episode 36. I am your host, Kyle Creasy. And today, I have a really great episode for you guys talking about the hottest team in the NBA right now, the Brooklyn Nets. Now, this team has won 14 of their last 15. They've won 10 games in a row. Kevin Durant's playing some of the best basketball in his career. And i had the pleasure of having on matt brooks to talk about the nets with me matt is a reporter for nets daily um nets daily is very big the covering the nets um he does nba content for basketball news so one of the biggest platforms covering the sport matt's awesome had a really good conversation with him was able to connect with him through twitter talked on dms for a while ended up working this out and we just had a really great conversation together both on and off the pod really cool dude Go give him a follow if you don't follow him already. His Twitter handle is at Matt Brooks NBA. NBA. Really good follow, really good dude, really cool. Great conversation about the Brooklyn Nets. But uh, before we get into that, obviously we have our weekly stock risers and stock fallers. Going to be doing three now. Um, I feel like we're deep enough in the season where we can see enough um, on a weekly basis to be able to go through three. Um, I'm going to be doing the risers first this week. Uh to start out, we've got the Miami Heat. The Heat are 7 and 3 in their last 10 games. Uh, in the past 2 weeks, they're 10th in point differential, which you might say, you know, 10th, nothing crazy, but promising considering that this Heat team's been struggling a lot and now they're finally putting some things together being a top 10 team in terms of point differential. Jimmy Butler has had 7 straight games of 20 plus points and I know you're thinking, oh, Jimmy's one of the better players in the NBA. Yes, but it's good to see this aggression through the regular season um, from him. Uh, Tyler Hero also in the last seven games been putting up 25 points, five assists on 46% shooting. He's been killing it this year, really been a big part of the Heat having more success here as of late. And, man, the things are coming together. And when these three – obviously you had Tyler Hero sign the big extension. Tyler Hero came off the bench last year. You heard Tyler Hero say he feels like he deserves a start. And he's right because when he's on the floor with Jimmy and Bam, this team is plus 14.3 per 100 possessions. That's like by and far would be the best in the NBA in terms of net rating compared to other teams. So this team, man, really putting some things together, looking like the team that we thought that they could be, coming off the Eastern Conference Finals where Jimmy Butler put up a three to potentially go to the finals. He missed it. We know this team's good. Okay, we know that there's good in there, and they're finally putting some parts of it together. So, had to throw them in there. Second stock riser here is going to be the Philadelphia 76ers. 76ers had one eight in a row, but they lost the Wizards the other night. So, they're eight and one in their last nine. It happens. You know, win streaks can't last forever. Uh, they had a. What really stuck out to me in this win streak, though, was their win against the Clippers. And if you didn't watch that game or if you didn't really keep up with it, they were down 20 points in the first half. And uh, in, in late in the first half. And then second half, they just kept clawing. They kept clawing. And then they took the lead, and they just – the duo of Harden and Embiid has been awesome in the past 10 games. Um, Embiid specifically playing just out of his mind in the last 10 games, he's averaging 37 points and 10 rebounds, shooting 55% from the floor. Things are coming together. Things are coming together. You know, the Sixers are finally getting healthy. Towards the beginning of the season, they were out with so many guys, so many guys getting injured. Now they've got everybody in there. Tyrese Maxi is going to be back tonight. I'm recording this on a Friday Um, in their game against the Pelicans. Yeah, I think Pelicans that they play tonight. Tyrese Maxi will be back. Everybody's back. Now, the one thing that I'm interested to see with the 76ers as we move forward is that they've had a lot of success starting DeAnthony Melton. And DeAnthony Melton was an acquisition that if you listen to this podcast for a long time, you know how high I was on the 76ers acquiring DeAnthony Melton. But he's been playing so good starting, it'll be interesting to see what they do. You know, if you listen to Zach Lowe's podcast, he said that he expects Tyrese Maxey to come off the bench just to start out since he's coming back, but he doesn't expect it to be a long-term thing. But it will be interesting to see what they do going forward. Will they start three guards and keep starting Melton and start Maxey and put P.J. Tucker on the bench? I don't know. You know, they signed P.J. Tucker to basically guard the other team's best player. That doesn't quite work the same if he's coming off the bench can't really bench Tobias Harris, that size and ability, certain things that they really need um, that he gives that they just don't have from other players. Um, obviously, you're obviously James Harden and Embiid are penciled in, and it comes down to like Melton or P.J. Tucker. I am of the belief that P.J. Tucker coming off the bench and being the backup five would be a really good option for this team, um, even if you take away the thought process from guarding the team's best friend or player. I just think that there's too much that Melton gives – rebounding activity defensively, and just ability to shoot and put the ball on the floor, especially getting out in transition, that the team doesn't have, that that they need with their other good players. And Tyrese Maxey, I mean, it could be one of the best transition teams in the NBA if Tyrese Maxey and Gansney Melton are playing together. And that gets a lot of extra points for a team whose half-court offense is already really good with the duo uh, Embiid and Harden. So interested in seeing how that goes, but they've been really good recently, so they make stock riders here. And the third stock riser, the last stock riser I have here, are the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavs are now twenty and sixteen overall, sitting at fifth in the Western Conference. Um, it was looking scary a while ago. You know, they were ten and eleven at one point after a brutal loss to the to the Detroit Pistons. Um, they actually made my stock fallers last week because Maxi Kleba was going to be out for six to eight weeks. But they've handled that well, and a big part of that is obviously Luka Doncic um, being one of the best players in the NBA, just playing absurd, playing out of his mind had the 60, 20, 10 performance, uh, had another 35, 13, and 12 performance last night, just putting up some unreal numbers. But I think the biggest thing, and you know, shout out to Grant F Seth who came on the podcast a while back covering the Mavericks. But if you remember whenever he came on the pod, we talked about how this team was so much better when Christian Wood was on the floor with Luca, how Christian Wood needs to play more, regardless of what Kid's concerns might be, you know, why is Kid trusting some of these guys more than Wood, whenever Wood provides more? Mm-hmm. Well, he's kind of by default had to play Christian Wood more now because Clay was out, and so he's starting Christian Wood. They're five and one in games that Christian Wood is start, has started in, uh, in this stretch. So it will be very interesting to see if he does continue to maybe trust him as this goes on. But I feel like he probably will because I think the success will kind of maintain a little bit. I'm not sure five and one type stuff it will keep translating over, but just being able to play winning basketball as a whole. So. Really interested in seeing how the Mavs go from here. They've taken advantage of an easier schedule. So it is something to watch as we go forward. But they had to make stock risers because with a stock faller, I'm about to mention having a key player get injured, Mavs could fully control their destiny and try to be a top-six team going the rest of the way and stay out of the play. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, Christian Wood is now extension eligible. we will be interesting to see how that folds out. But, yeah, the Mavs had to make stock risers. Now we're going to these stock fallers. First, we have the Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks have lost four games in a row. First time all season that they've lost four in a row. They've lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Brooklyn Nets, the Boston Celtics, Chicago Bulls. Your first initial thoughts might be, well, three of those teams are really good and the Bulls have potential. Well, yeah, you're not wrong. But it's a little concerning that they couldn't just pull out one win, specifically the Chicago one, because Giannis ended up with 45 points, 22 rebounds, and seven assists. What's concerning the most to me is that Chris Middleton has now missed six straight games. Um you know, the belief was that the Bucs are going to have to hold on a little bit. And like when Nathan Marzion came on to talk about the Bucs, you know, we talked about how impressive it's been that they've been towards the top of the conference, even without Middleton for the majority of the season. But the belief was always stay afloat, get Middleton back. Well, I'm not so sure where we're at on the Middleton timeline right now, just compared to him being back to the player that we know he can be. So it's just a little concerning. You know, I'm not overly concerned about the Bucks. I think they're going to be fine overall. I just think it's something to watch and that they have to, by default, be a stock faller because losing four in a row in Middleton in the six straight games. You know, they're going to be fine, I think, long-term, but they might lose some position in the standings here in the next few weeks. So it'll be interesting to watch. My second stock faller is going to be the Phoenix Suns. Um, there's really nothing more to this than the fact that Devin Booker is going to be reevaluated in four weeks. He was injured, comes back on Christmas Day, plays like three minutes, boom, he's right back out. They, he gets some tests. He's going to be reevaluated in four weeks. I'm not so sure the Phoenix Suns can stay afloat missing Devin Booker for a month, um, and that's just that minimum that they're going to miss him. You know, they're already missing Cam Johnson, who tore his meniscus. They're already missing Jay Crowder, who they've missed all season, who, yes, they haven't had him this season, but that's a starting caliber player, or at least a really good player that can help out most teams that has elected to sit out because he lost a starting spot. Um, I'm not so sure the Suns or Crowder ever handled that really well, but I don't know. They, they're they at the point. Shout out Nikaias Duncan for Basketball News. He said this it's time for the Suns to make a Crowder trade because you need some firepower or else you're really going to lose out in standings. Um, Chris Paul, you know, great player, but really lost a step, not scoring as much. It's a lot more playmaking. DeAndre Aiden, I guess at some point you just have to realize he's probably not going to turn into this, like, 23-point-per-game scorer. Um, yeah, it's just a lack of it's a lack of star power right now. And so I'm not sure they can survive the next month without Devin Booker. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm dead right. But we we will see. It is just very concerning that they're out with him for a long period of time. And they are sitting at sixth in the West. Very dangerous of entering play in territory here. Nobody wants to be in there. So, yeah, we'll see. But lastly, the most important team, or I don't know if I want to call it the most important, but the most emphasis I want to put on any stock riser or stock faller will be the Minnesota Timberwolves. This team has lost four in a row they're now sitting at 16 and 19 overall. They are out of the play-in picture. I need to pull this up real quick. Yeah, they are sitting at 11th in the West and they are one game ahead of the Thunder who have really been struggling this year, can't really put together a bunch of wins in a row or anything. And a lot, they're two games ahead of Los Angeles Lakers. Los Angeles Lakers have been one of the worst teams in the entire NBA and yet here they are even with Anthony Davis out and the Lakers trying to stay afloat in any capacity, the Timberwolves are still only two games ahead of that team. So stuff's not looking good. They're three and seven in their last 10. Carl Anthony Towns is still going to be out until I think like mid-January at the earliest. Listen, what it comes down to is that this team, Rudy Gobert has been so underwhelming and they made a serious, huge big time franchise moving trade to get a player like Gobert in terms of the draft capital and the assets that they gave up to get a player like this. Gobert's just not been very good. He's not. And they're better with Nas Reed on the floor than they are Gobert. And here's just some stuff stuff for you from Cleaning the Glass. Always shout out Cleaning the Glass. When Nas Reed is on the court for the Timberwolves this season and Rudy Gobert is off the floor, the Timberwolves have a plus five net rating. Plus five is like really good team. Like, would be one of the best teams in the league. Rudy Gobert on the floor and Nas Reed off, they're a minus 2.1 net rating. The other night against the Miami Heat, Rudy Gobert was just getting outplayed by Orlando Robinson. Orlando Robinson. A lot of you probably don't even know his name. And Rudy Gobert was getting outplayed by him. Nas Reed had to play in crunch time by default even though they're paying Rudy Gobert 40 plus million dollars, even though they gave up the draft haul they gave up for Rudy Gobert, he was played off the floor in a regular season game. It's not been good in Minnesota, and I'm not sure if that if it'll turn. Let's take a look back too at the Gobert trade, essentially traded five first round picks. I'm not even going to go this route, but one could simply argue Forget the other draft picks. Forget the role players that were in the deal. That Walker Kessler has been better than Rudy Gobert this year. One could easily argue that. Easily. I'm not going to. That's not going to be the stance I'm going to take here. But you could easily argue that if you wanted to. That Walker Kessler, who was drafted late first round, that was a part of the trade, is better than Rudy Gobert right now. Or has played better than him to this point. Forget that, though. They traded other role players that could be really nice right now. Malik Beasley one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA to this point. Jared Vanderbilt, just a gritty guy who's going to go do a lot of things for you. Offensive rebounding, taking tough defensive assignments, making sure possessions finish on the defensive end, that kind of thing. And yeah, they traded Patrick Reveille. Patrick Reveille hasn't been that good. But yeah, just another player in the deal. That could have been something that they could have traded salary-wise somewhere else maybe. So then you look at the draft capital. Well, let's forget all the future picks. The Utah Jazz own the Minnesota Timberwolves draft pick this year, unprotected. Unprotected, this team is out of the plan, a lottery pick right now, has probably the seventh or, best, seventh or eighth best odds in the NBA for a pick right now, and it's going to be handed to the Utah Jazz unprotected. That would be worst case scenario here, that that pick ends up being good, just good at all, even the lottery pick. So, really, a team to keep your eye on here. It is really time for the Timberwolves to make something happen, or else they're going to be put too deep in a hole that they can't crawl out of. So we'll see, man. I'm really interested. Um, a lot of people were very critical of the Go Bear trade whenever it happened. And now it's looking even worse and not backing those people up. We'll see. We'll see. Timberwolves, Ugh, very ugly mess. Very ugly. So. Yeah, they had to make stock fallers. They're, they're my biggest emphasis on either a riser or a faller. Um, it's going to be interesting, man. But, yeah, let's get straight into the conversation with Matt Brooks here. You know, obviously, we talk about the Nets. We talk about their current standing, how they're doing on both ends of the floor, sort of what was going through Matt's head whenever everything was going on over the summer, and just kind of an outlook on things going forward. But great conversation. Ready for you guys to get into it. Brooklyn Nets with Matt Brooks. Here we go. And now I'm excited to bring on Matt Brooks. Matt is a reporter for Nets Daily, makes content for the great company Basketball News, and is the host of the Clear Out Podcast. Matt, what's up, man?
1: Chilling, chilling um, on the West Coast right now. So just enjoying uh, the, it's wonderful weather over here. I, I know it's like very New Yorker of me to talk about the weather instantly, but it's, it's quite nice over here. But yeah, uh, enjoying the holidays, seeing family. It's been good. Yeah,
0: appreciate you coming on, my man. So let's get straight into it. Um, obviously, going to be talking about the hottest team in the NBA currently, team who came atop my power rankings last week, the Brooklyn Nets. So as it sits, this team is second in the Eastern Conference now. They've jumped the Milwaukee Bucks, and they are at 23-12. and 12. Obviously, this sounds great, but before we get into how great the season's been, let's take a step back for a second and reminisce on what was going on to start the year and how it's even more impressive that they are where they are right now. So to start out, this team started out at one and five. Then they went to it was two and five or two and six or something like that. They actually parted ways with Steve Nash. They fired him, but whatever. They parted ways. And you know, some things started to look like they were clicking a little bit. Jump up, they're eight and nine. They go to Philadelphia. It's Ben Simmons return. And Philly's just missing everybody. And the Nets just it was terrible. They lose that game. They have another loss to the Pacers sitting at 9-11. and Everybody's wondering, is this team even going to stay? And then a switch just flips. But I want to ask you first, when they were sitting at 9-11 or, or 1-5, 2-6, 8-10, any part in their season, did you ever start to feel a sense of panic from the fans
1: or the team? Uh, Let's go to the point when they thought they were going to get Ime Udoka <laughs> and they didn't. Um, were, I don't remember what night it was. It was a Thursday, and it was, like, the craziest, like, I think the craziest my phone was. I was getting, like, texts and calls from people, and it was just, like, it was madness. Like, everything, every sing, like, think about every single thing that could happen. I think, was Kyrie suspended at the, I don't know. I, I just remember they, they didn't get email or they were, it was about to seem like they weren't going to get email, and this was kind of building up the whole week. Um, I remember like hearing, okay, like this might be it. Like Kevin might be putting in the request again. like, it was every, like, think about every single level, like, and I'm not just talking like players and stuff like that, but like all, every single level of the organization was thinking about walking away. Like it was like, it was just like Chernobyl. Like it was just, it was chaos. Right. So this happens and I'm like, all right. Goodbye. head, I'm like, this is. Like they've been a disaster before. This is probably the the most disastrous I've I've seen them, and I just kind of figured, all right, this is it. Like this is probably this is probably where things end here. Like I think I think this is the end of the Nets. And I was getting ready to cover the Cam Thomas, Dayron Sharp, uh, <laughs> rebuilding Nets with no draft picks. Right. Like I was. I'd really thought it was gonna happen. It was like this weird night for me because I've like covered these guys for a couple of years. And I'm like, this is a big shift that I I knew was coming at some point, but I, uh, I just didn't think it was going to happen like this. And then, um, and then they, they do, they, they go with Jacques and nobody wants Jacques. Like nobody. <laughs> the fan base was more mad about Jacques being made head coach than they were about Nash holding that position beforehand. Like <laughs> nobody thought Jacques was going to be good. And it takes them a second. um, But I remember hearing, like, even when they were lose after the loss to the uh, Sixers and the Pacers, like I remember hearing that Kevin really liked them. And I just I was like, that's kind of interesting, right? And then, then we start seeing this team click a little bit, as you said. And now we're here. This team's won like ten games. I think it's the most games they've won in more than like a decade and a half or something like that. It's it's crazy. Like they've won. I mean, this is a longer winning streak than they had than, than when they had a uh, KD, Kyrie, and Harden. A lot of that just due to injury because they never yeah. had those guys for more than three games in a row. But still, um, it's pretty crazy that they got these guys um clicking like this. So it's yeah, it's it's been a really crazy ride. So many, so many lows and so many highs so far. It's it's definitely a net season. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So let's
0: just look back at the summer, just real quick. Um did you think Katie was gone?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, I I I did for a while. Um, and when the Boston trade, where well, the theoretical Boston trade came out with Jalen Brown, I kind of just was like, all right, this is probably going to be what gets it done. Mm-hmm. This would make sense. Didn't happen, and then kind of the, the further it went on, the further it became clear that the Nets were kind of like they were they they wanted to keep him obviously, and they were just going to sort of they are going to pretend to shop him to like, you know, placate to him. But really like the goal is just to get to training camp and see where it goes from there. Um, and then when we got within a couple of weeks of training camp, you know, in my head, I'm like, man, like all he has to do is sit out. Like he just has to sit out training camp. <laughs> and I, I think he'll be gone. Like, I, cause they just, I don't think the nets want to go through that. It Wouldn't be sustainable
0: uh, to, to be able to just keep going with no draft picks and be without yeah. a guy like that.
1: Yeah. And like, they, you know, this is a team that's never had continuity and they've never had. So I just figured like, all right, if he sits training camp, like this will be, this will be over. And he doesn't, and he shows up to media day and he shows up to all these things. And, um, you know, it was kind of like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess he's here at least for this year. And I think that's kind of where we're still at. You know, I wouldn't say like, I mean, like they're playing super well um, and I, I think what they're, doing is really sustainable. But yeah, like if this doesn't go well, they fall short or whatever, um, or there's injuries or what I I don't know. You know, if it's injuries, maybe this will last another year after this, because they they really have showed a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But largely I don't think they're like out of the weeds with this yet. I don't think that a 10 game win streak changes anything. Uh maybe, maybe it does, but um yeah I, I I definitely feel like it it there was a point where I thought he was really, really gone.
0: Yeah. So obviously he's here now, at least for the time being, like you said. And they've been awesome. They like you said, they've won 10 in a row. They've won 14 of their last 15. And just jumping straight into like some season-long analytics here. And this is even more impressive considering where they were at probably the first 10 games. They're fifth in point differential. Um, this is all per clean the glass, shout out clean the glass. They're fifth in offense, ninth in defense, and in the last two weeks their first in point differential in offense. They've just been a a really freaking good team. Just disregard, schedule, disregard, circumstance, like they've just been one of the best teams in the NBA, if not the best, especially in this past month. Um, I wanna talk about the defense first, man. What's, What's been like eye popping to you or what stood out to you the most about what's just really flipped a switch for a team that was so bad defensively last year?
1: I think they've just discovered their identity um this is not a team that's like really really good at point of attack like they can stay in front of guys but that's definitely not their strength like they're not like you know the bucks with drew who you know i mean a large you know they, they have brooke lopez and they have drew so maybe that's not a good example let's say the let's say the celtics the celtics are a really good example of like really good point of attack defense i think boston is top 10 in defense finally uh I think they're they're in there somewhere on cleaning the glass after kind of not being there uh, uh, for a large part of this year. So Boston's really interesting because yeah, Boston. Robert Williams is a shot blocker. He hasn't been on the floor that much. They're really a, a team that is just strong at keeping guys in front. Marcus Smart's a great screen navigator. Really mucks things up. Uh, Jason Tatum has been exceptional defensively. Jalen Brown can stay in front of guys. So that's a team that like is just got a re- lot of really good athletes that are hard to score on that way. Um, and and it's not like a, a layup line. The Nets are not a layup line per se, but they're also not a team that's like really, really, you know, strong in terms of like having a Marcus Smart out there or these like bulldog point of attack guys. Uh, their best point of attack defenders might be their, their, you know, their six foot 11 dudes like KD Simmons has been looking better, but still his lateral quickness isn't quite where it was in Philly. Claxton is maybe their best perimeter defender, so it's been really interesting to watch that. And I think because of that, it's almost like they're leaning into how much shot blocking they have. So even if it's somebody like Nicholas Claxton out there, they've got KD manning the back line, mm-hmm. playing free safety a little bit and just kind of cleaning up mistakes in that way. I mean, it is he's averaging a lot. block and a half a game. He's play, yeah, I mean, he's been he's been great. And a lot of it's just, you know, it's, it's in two ways. It's when guys try to go at him, smaller guys, try to isolate him and get to the rim. Um, he's been really good at blocking shots that way. And just in in terms of his weak side help, I think he's been super engaged in that way. He's been very good at coming in and and kind of blocking shots out of nowhere. Uh, Klax has been that times a thousand. I mean, he's just been, I, this is a defensive player of the year candidate, in my opinion. I think he's been that good recently. Um, you know, and this is, I've been high on Klax for a long time, uh, like a very, very long time. So, I knew this was there for him. I just didn't think it was going to happen this early. Um, but he's he's improved at all the little things that he's needed to. Um, you know, him, I mean, offensively, is he's improved quite a bit. But the defense, what I want to focus on, his weak side help is taken a huge jump. It took a mini leap last year. it's taken another leap this year. It's, it's like any shot that goes up within the vicinity of the rim, I feel like he's going to be there to contest it, whether it's his matchup or not. Uh, the switch defense is maintained. He's improved his scheme versatility. Uh, the Nets have really leaned mostly into switching, but he's been better at drop in the instances that they've done that. So overall, like just having those two guys and and Simmons as well, but really Durant and Claxton as the fulcrum of your defense in their shot blocking, it's really interesting. Um, it's very different. I, I don't know a lot of teams that I can think of right now that are like that, that lean on, the shot blocking of two, you know, skinny seven foot guys.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, it's it been really interesting to watch. And, you know, obviously like when I watch them, like there's certain things that pop, but analytically there's not really a lot of things that pop. And that's what makes it even more interesting yeah. that they are a top 10 defense. And to me, the, some things that have just really stood out are they're bent, They're defending a lot better in space. And part of that is, I don't know if guys are healthier, but also just acquiring a guy like Royce O'Neal Claxton's jump, Kevin Durant being more engaged, and Ben Simmons actually playing this year. Um, Like you said, man, Claxton has been awesome and probably is in that Defensive Player of the Year, at least race, just in the race, or at least somebody to keep an eye on. And it's funny because a team that's like, for the most part, doesn't have a bunch of, like when you start to think about some teams that have some really flexible lineups that you think are all really good defending in space for one-on-one, you're like, okay, there it's like the Clippers the Celtics just like a bunch of teams like that with a bunch of long rangy wings and then the Nets don't really have a ton of those options but they're not like running a lot like they don't run any zone they're just defending that much better in space and they're they're in the 93rd percentile in defending isolations and they are they are only giving up 0.861 points per possessions when defending the pick and roll and I know that some people may not really understand what that number is that number is not the best thing in the world but it's pretty good and a lot of that to me has been just royce and ben being on the team this year and their screen navigation is just doing them wonders so they're able to go drop with clack some while those guys are fighting over the top and really being able to just beat that guy to the spot before he's ever really able to engage the guy at the bottom and just also being able to switch like you said that they were. So it's just been really fun to watch. They're also giving up less than one point per possession on post-ups, which is average. But, you know, again, the fact that this team is average at defending post-ups, even though they don't have just some real big physical force down low, extremely impressive. So the defense overall just love what I've seen, and I think that it is sustainable going forward. I mean, would you agree?
1: Yeah, because I'll put it like this. Like you mentioned that, like, they don't have these wings that are – uh, you know, like they're not like the Celtics or the the Clippers where they have these like wings. I think they do. I just think their wings are seven feet tall. Yeah. Like I'll put it like that. Like I really, and I've called Claxton like a wing since he's come into the league, which seems, now he's probably a little bit more of a big, but he plays like a wing, right? Like he's he depending he on the perimeter. He
0: more of a wing at like Georgia, like coming out of yeah. college, which, which makes it even more interesting that he's like a five man now.
1: Yeah, so it's like you take Simmons and you take KD and you take Claxton, like those are, if you want to call those your wings, like they they provide all the same advantages defensively that wings do. You know, they can stay with quicker guys for the most part. There are certain guys like Darius Garland. Darius Garland, I thought was, and the one thing I've said with the Nets all year is that the point of attack defense is the only thing that they're really, really lacking. And like Darius Garland the other night gave you a pretty good idea of what that looks like. He was able to get to his spot pretty much, pretty much anytime he wanted. A lot of that stuff was from like, floater range, essentially, he's not going to get all the way to the rim because they have so much shot blocking there. But I do think like those type of shots are available. If you're a really quick guard, if you're somebody that can, you know, kind of get busy from that range. So that's a That's the really the, the only guy that I've seen that can kind of torch this team pretty consistently. Um But no, I, I think it is sustainable because again, they have so many rangy guys up and down the roster. It's just a different look. It's just it's 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 a front court a starting front court of three guys that are six eleven that move like they're six foot four or whatever it's it's pretty crazy
0: yeah no for sure and and i the most interest or most intriguing thing to me going forward with it is do they kind of stay put or do they look to maybe add some in the front court because whatever's going on right now is clearly working and that i guess that's one of those things where you go hey it's working, but we could be even better? Or do you just kind of say, hey, we're going to stay put? Now, I know assets aren't necessarily something that they just have a pool of right now. Yeah. But it will be interesting to see if they try to get engaged in some trade talks. Do you think that they're going to try to get engaged in anything there?
1: Uh, Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't expect a ton, but like, I think that like the obvious package of like, I don't think they moved Patty Mills, um, but I do think that Seth is an option. So if you can take Seth and Cam Thomas in a first. They never extended it's... Seth, did they? no no so and like i like seth for another team he's had a weird year honestly like he just i don't he just feels way less impactful and maybe it's just that that it is kind of his i don't know his role is different i've been trying to figure it out but regardless like that's he's a good player that's been in playoff series and made an impact he made an impact in portland he's really good in philly so it's not like this is a guy that's like never shown he can do it when it matters um so yeah i mean you know i i think that that's that's probably what you're looking at and you just see what that can get you i mean really it's going to get you like a ninth man yeah like, you're not going to like get like this like game change because and part of that is just like how good their rotation is mm-hmm. i mean really like you to you watanabe is probably their eighth man right now he's been awesome mm-hmm. um one of joe harris or royce o'neill is going to be your seventh man um and they're both playing out of, like really really well royce is been really really good offensively uh, Joe's been really uh, it's shots coming along nicely before he got injured and he's made improvements defensively so that kind of goes to show you like how loaded this team is right now that's the difference I think this year is just that I trust their top eight so much
0: mm-hmm. yeah I mean I do too and it's something that in the offseason especially whenever they kind of went out and did some things they did to improve the roster around the edges I liked it and I've always I've always thought the Nets had some – the Nets had, like, pieces to be really, really, really good, but it just never actually came together, whether it was injuries. Last year had to trade Harden. Ben Simmons never actually played, you know, due to the back stuff, whatever. Like, the potential has always been there. And, like, the Nets were in my finals in the preseason. It's because I'm more of a – in a preseason, I'm going to take the team with the highest ceiling, and in my eyes – they have always had the highest ceiling. So it's just, it's nice to be able to see them actually put some of these things together for once in this KD Kyrie tenure, which they did two years ago, but just the injuries derailing it all against in the Bucks playoff series and stuff. So, but it's nice to see. So now I want to jump into the offense. Obviously, the defense has been fun. The offense, you knew it was going to be elite all the time. The concern was the defense, but the offense, you knew it was going to be elite. To me, it's just impressive on how they're doing it offensively. So I think the answer is pretty clear for a lot of people that do watch the Nets regularly. But when I'm just looking through stuff here and I see that they're around league average and taking care of the ball, they're dead last in offensive rebounding. They're they're towards the bottom of the league and getting to the free throw line. Yet they have a top five offense. And it comes down to a few things, one of which being they are just the best shooting team in the league in terms of three levels. It's, yep. it's absurd. And so do you think that it's just what the two what two of the best isolation players in the world are able to create for them and others? Is there more continuity stuff with maybe Jacques that you've seen opposed to Nash? What do you think it is that's been able to open that up for them even more offensively and just continue to dominate all three levels? Because they are first in mid-range uh, field goal percentage. They're shooting 50% from mid-range as a team, which is just absurd. They're uh yep. they're third in rim field goal percentage as a team with no real like big just sitting down there dominating around the rim they're at set, or over 70% and then they are second in three point field goal percentage at 39.3% which is crazy
1: um yeah no they're uh I mean, the, the the mid-range and the three-point is what I'd highlight. The the rim stuff, a lot of that just clacks it. And, and Simmons has had some good moments. There. I mean, like, they've been really good at picking their rim shots. I just – I don't know what the frequency is on that. They're, they're 20 um, – I
0: think they're they're twenty 28th in frequency at the rim, but third and – so, I mean, they're just taking – So that explains
1: the foul thing. Yeah, which yeah. I, I saw Nets <laughs> – I'm sorry, this is such a tangent, but I saw Nets saying, like, oh, like, we're – the refs are conspiring against us i'm like no you guys just only get to the you get to the rim at 28th best in the league like you're not gonna get fouls out right um which i thought was funny uh no but um yeah i mean they're they're shooting the hell out of the ball i think the three-point number is the one i want to touch on um kind of shows you the vision of this offseason like you know you go back I'm I'm going to explain this by kind of going back a little bit. So, the year that they had the Harden year and they had Jeff Green, like this that was a championship team. Like yeah. I think that was okay. that was a team that we felt pretty good like if they hadn't gotten hurt we I think we I don't think it's insane to say they were 100%. probably going to win a, cha- a championship yeah. that year. So, they lose to Milwaukee. It's a lot of it comes down to injury. And they come into the next year and instead of just saying, "All right, here's what works for us, you know, we played five out, uh we we try to, you know, set it up so that you can't really double our stars. They went and they brought in all these like, you know, bigger players, Uh, you know, kind of grinder guys like James Johnson. And uh, they brought in DeAndre Bembry, who was good for them. They brought in a bunch of centers because they felt like, well, you know, we want to make sure our front court is is bolstered. And it really took away the identity of the team last year. And that's one of the, uh, the things that we don't we talk about a million things that happened. Kyrie missing games, um, the hard in trade, but. On top of all that, it just wasn't a team that really optimized what this group and especially KD does well. So that was kind of the issue. And you saw that come into fruition a little bit against Boston in the playoffs. They're able to double team, they're able to, you know, kind of muck up the Nets actions, which are fairly simple in large part. And it just kind of comes off KD's gravity. So this year they come in, they bring in Royce O'Neal, who's having a great shooting year, Yuta Watanabe, who's shooting very well. We'll see if that stays. But for now, he's like leading league in a lot of, uh, you know, catch and shoot percentage, uh, th- corner three point yeah. percentage, which I believe you put up on your Twitter. Um, so, you know, those are, those are things TJ Warren's come back and been just really exceptional from two levels. So I, I think the three point percentage is the number that's important to me. And it's allowed KD to kind of have an easier time. It's just harder to double KD because he's not, I'm not saying he's like an elite, elite passer, but, He's he knows what to do out of double teams for the most part, and it's a very simple offense in that way where it's just built off the gravity of those two guys and making the easy pass and swinging around the perimeter from there. It's it's a very simple formula, and they're not running like the Princeton offense. They actually their offense preseason was like very complicated. They're running like Spain pick and roll and running like exit screens, which they still do to a degree, but. Point being that it had this very layered offense and they have really stripped it back. Cause I think they've just kind of come to the point of like, we have KD, we have Kyrie. Those guys are going to attract a crowd and we have shooters. So let's just see if we can spray it from there.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I, I want to ask you a question. Do you know how many players that the Nets have right now shooting above league average from three?
1: Oh geez. Uh, God. Okay. I'm not. sheet. uh, I was about to, let's see. All right. Um, is Kyrie over yet? Yes. Okay, cool. Because he was at like 29% to start the year. It was very strange. Uh, KD, I'm going to assume. I think I saw that he's close. He's climbed past. the What's the league average this year? 36?
0: It's it's like right over 36. Just barely over it.
1: That's crazy. It was like 34 a couple of years ago. Yeah. So So, uh, all right. So, I'm going to go KD, Kyrie. Uh, I think Patty Mills is probably over. He is. Okay. Royce O'Neill. Yep. Uh, Joe Harris? He is. That's fine. I'm at five right now. Uh TJ Warren is he over? I don't know if TJ's is TJ, TJ over. He is. He's been making shots lately. Uh Utah's gotta be over. Yep. Seven. There's three more. So there's
0: ten total, which is just crazy.
1: Um Seth Curry. Yep. Seth Seth Curry for sure. Markeith mm-hmm. Morris. Yep. Uh oh, what's the last one? <laughs> it's gonna be somebody like in their rotation. Well, I know it's not Ben Simmons. <laughs> I know it's not Nick Glaxon. This, this uh, guy,
0: this guy is not always. Just getting in, getting a lot of minutes.
1: Damn, I got no clue. It's not Cam Thomas. It is. Is is he's <laughs> over 36 this year? <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah, they have 10 guys. 100%. Ten guys shooting above league average, four of which are in the 90th or better percentile, shooting over 43% from three. And that's Yuta, Markeith, Patty Mills, and Royce O'Neill.
1: What's so, that from? What what stat is that? has uh, Cleaning the glass has 3 percent. I didn't know that. All right, good enough.
0: <laughs> yep, yeah. Cleaning the glass has almost everything, man. That's Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that platform. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, shooting is great, but like you touched on, it comes from two individuals who are just elite of the elite in space and scoring, and Kyrie and KD. And I want to touch on Kyrie first. You know, averaging 26, 5, and 5, basically, on 49, 36, 91 splits. All that's great. I know that about Kyrie. I know I'm going to get my 25 plus. I know I'm going to get a great isolation player. The biggest thing that I want to highlight for Kyrie is last year in the minutes without Kevin Durant with Kyrie on the floor, the nets were a minus 3.7 in point differential net rating. And that was, that's one of the worst teams in the league in terms of just overall, how are you on the floor? That number in 487 possessions this season is a plus 5.1. And yes, that is a statement to the roster and the upgrades, but I also just think that it's a more locked in Kyrie and a guy who's executing better, especially on the offensive end, just in terms of reads and stuff. And that I mean, that's like still playing like one of the best teams in the league, even when KD's off the floor. And that gives them such an advantage to not have to worry about, oh, if we're up twelve right now, can we hold it while Kevin Durant's getting his rest? And that if that's gonna maintain. I mean this team might be flirting with like best record in the NBA.
1: Yeah, I think they can win the East. Sorry, I'm I'm going to filibuster for a second and I'm I'm going to try to see if I can find um lineup stats of um what it looks like with Simmons cuz they've been leaning into Simmons and Kyrie a lot as their bench unit and it's looked better. They've been getting pretty interesting stuff using Simmons as a roller. So I'm going to see if I can go pull po- sorry, this is a terrible podcasting content. No, you're but I'm good. doing this on the fly. i um, ask you a question while you're looking this up. Cool. Um, how do you feel
0: about Simmons minutes with no KD or Kyrie on the floor?
1: Uh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't <laughs> like it. Uh, I and It like, depends on how TJ Warren comes along. But even TJ, like you watch TV. TJ's got to be like the least athletic player in the league. I mean, it's like you watch. <laughs> he gets shots of me. and My dad were watching the game the other day and he was just laughing at it. Uh, because he, he doesn't watch the Nets all the time. He yeah. like when I'm around, he'll that's kind of when we'll watch uh watch the Nets. And he's like, dude, this guy like doesn't jump like when, when he shoots. And I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. Like it, he kind of he has like the Kyle Anderson game where it's like he gets downhill, but it's so slow. I feel like mm-hmm. that it throws players off, which I don't think is sustainable. Um, I think you need one of Kyrie or or KD next to Ben. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I I'm looking at the Kyrie solo minutes. He's Outscoring opponents by seventeen point eight eight points hundred percent, which is wild. Um, and with but Ben and Kyrie, they're actually a minus four point one six net rating. So I think that's actually a testament. I on that number hasn't given me what I'm looking for yet. So it, it is not because they're playing him with with a um, with with Simmons. It's it's that he's been playing that well on his own. Um, and I think part of it too this year is like it always felt like in previous years it was hard to like get those two guys going at the same time. Um, which is, is my internet okay right now? Yeah, you're good. Okay, cool. Uh, sorry, my, my my browser just popped up and said it was, it was <laughs> shaky. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, in previous years, it always felt like it, the optimization between having KD going and having Kyrie going was just off. Like it never felt like you could get those two guys going in the same game. They've really figured it out now. They have their pockets where... You know, Kyrie's really good to start the fourth quarter. And then KD will have, come in and be subbed in around the six-minute mark and he'll get going. And then when KD or Kyrie's alone, you know, in the second quarter, I think is the beginning of the second quarter is when he's alone. He has all this opportunity to, to kind of, you know, get his shots up and and build a rhythm that way. So it's very interesting. And I think it's a testament to how Jacques's been subbing these guys in and out. Um, it just allowed them to build rhythms at different points. And by the time the fourth quarter comes along, they're both feeling it and and have a nice shot diet to like really, you know, just kind of do what they do. So um, yeah, I think that's a big part of it is he just, has got the right amount of room to cook and the spacing around him is what it needs to be.
0: Yeah. And like, you know, you talked about it, like staggering them has always been something that makes perfect sense, but it's just something that it's been tough on the nets in the past because of how the minutes have been when Kevin Durant's off the floor. But the fact that they're able to finally utilize it this season, whenever you've got two All World scorers who really are two first options, you know, I understand Kyrie has his flaws. Some people are very critical. At the end of the day, he's still a very elite scorer, and yep. so two number one, two guys who really, who really can be a number one scoring option, being able to kind of split their time a little bit throughout the game and be able to get going is just really, really big for them, especially late in games, especially like come playoff time, for instance, you know, get both of those guys going and then that could be really tough for teams in the fourth quarter to defend it. So it has been interesting. And now I just obviously want to refer to the other all world scorer, the guy who's played like arguably the best player on the planet. I'm not, again, I'm not saying he is or isn't, I'm just saying he's been playing like that and he's averaging basically 30 a game, seven rebounds, five assists, already mentioned he's getting a block and a half. The shooting is absurd fifty cent fifty six percent from the field from a guy who has a shot diet at all three levels. um thirty seven percent from three, which you know some people will maybe be like, oh, I want to hire. it's above it's above league average man. and ninety three from the line, fifty nine percent from the mid range, just like all time great stuff from the mid range. um sixty two percent from two, which I'm pretty sure is a career high for kD. He's in the 90th percentile, just in all offense overall. This is stuff coming from Synergy. He's in the 82nd percentile in ISOs, which for a guy that's getting the kind of coverages he is, is just pretty crazy to be in that at that higher percentile. 98th percentile in spot-ups, nothing new from KD there, an elite shooter. But the thing I want to talk about the most here is that he has arguably been the best pick-and-roll player in the entire league so far, and he's in the 97th percentile as the pick-and-roll ball handler. Dude, the stuff he's just been able to do in the PNR this year is just crazy. I mean, teams have tried all different kinds of coverages because he's just been unstoppable in that area. And it's it comes from different stuff. The Nets obviously have clack screening. They've got Ben screening into what might turn into like a twist or also he pitches it back and goes into a DHO. They've had all kinds of guards, setting guard-to-guard stuff. It's just – it's been really fun to watch. And the teams – you know, I went, I went through and I watched every single Kevin Durant PR ball handler clip, clip last night. I watched the Nets a lot, but still, just being able to actually just watch this and focus on this, it was just even crazier because teams are going and drop. Okay, cool, you can't go and drop on a guy shooting 60% from the mid range, <laughs> or go and drop with a guard-to-guard screen with a guy shooting out. Um, trying to meet him at the level, Kevin Durant's too good of a ball handler. He's probably going to create something out of it. Trying to blitz, well – like you said, he's become a, a much better passer and being able to make the right play. Um, you try to switch it, you can't switch it because if you're switching inferior defenders and one-on-one stuff, it's Kevin Durant. Um, I've just loved what I've seen out of this, and I would say because of this, and if this maintains, he is probably the most unguardable player in pick and roll right now in the entire league, right up there with like the Stephs and Lucas, because... This type of stuff, although we know KD translates, this translates more than anything two-man game in the playoffs. It's just been absurd stuff. What stuck out to you in Kevin Durant's offense this year?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it's largely what you said. Uh, The the pick-and-roll stuff has been really good. Um, And he's just been a really patient decision-maker. You know, I think he's – the one I like a lot is – He's like bought a 15 ish, I think, um, in turnover percentage out of out of pick and roll, which was obviously a big issue last year. Right. Like in the playoffs against Boston, it was like. It just it didn't it didn't feel like he could get much out of anything out of pick and roll. So um, that speaks to the talent that he is, that he's taken. Not only he hasn't shied away from hey, I'm going to get blitzed and kind of receive a lot of coverages that I got in the playoffs. But he's actually taken what was his weakness, the first time he's showed any sign of weakness in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's made it his strength this year. So, yeah, I mean, the, the shooting has been exceptional. Um, this decision-making decision has decision been great. He's really good at bounce passes to rollers. Um, he's found clacks a lot of times that way. Um, the pick-and-pop reads he's been really quick at. Um, so if, if, you know, somebody like Royce O'Neal or even TJ Warren, they've experimented with a little bit, and I think that's something you will lean into more and more. They have these shooters that can make shots on the move. They just didn't have that last year. They had that with Jeff green, but James Harden was the primary ball handler that year. Mm -hmm. So they have these shooters now that can, you know, slip and go screens and and pop and, and kind of catch the ball, even if their feet aren't set, um, and, and be able to like take shots in that way. Um. That's just huge. And Durant's been really good at making those reads. Sometimes it may look easy, but you need to hit a guy in his shooting pocket. You need to hit it so that he's on the move and he's able to get into his shot. Um, as a defender's closing out, realizing, oh my God, this is a pick and pop. You know, I can't hedge this or I can't, I, whatever. I can't, I can't cover this, this, you know, this pick and roll this thing. So those things are all really crucial. And I think the passing leap is the big thing that's you know it bleeds into how well he's been scoring he's just giving himself easier looks by making the defense think twice
0: yeah and and i also just want to highlight another thing about whenever teams are blitzing them tj warren especially in the past few weeks has been mon- monumental just to how well they're attacking blitzes on kevin durant and that's side note they're 10 and 1 in the 11 games tj's played in but <laughs> but tj's just so good about from the backside, you know, when you blitz, you're playing advantage basketball if you get the ball out of out of your hands quickly. And so then it turns into a four-on-three. Well, one guy's covering two on the backside, and genuine generally, what makes it easy on that guy is when you've got two offensive players who are just kind of standing there in space. And TJ has just been so good about presenting himself to the ball or making cut in the right area to be able to make that defender have to make a decision. And so it's either, hey, ball to TJ on a cut and he's able to score make a play or skip past a guy on the opposite side for open three. So stuff like that too has just really helped expand their game. I, bottom line, this team I think is a championship contender It needs to be recognized as a championship contender as a team who's just really shown the right things they struggled early, but here they are now, you know, and when you look at it going forward, according to tankathon.com, you know, I don't, I've not went down and broke down the schedule in front of me, but they, according to tankathon.com, they have the seventh easiest schedule remaining. I, I just think there's a lot of reason to continue to be optimistic about them going forward. The pieces that they got over the summer, the way they're playing right now, remaining schedule, the way things are going, the impact of Jacques Vaughn, it's just crazy to see how far they've come in such a short amount of time. And I'm just, I, I'm really excited genuinely to see how it goes going forward, knowing hopefully that we can go into a playoffs and say, like, again, like we did in 2021, even though they ended up injured, a Kevin Durant team has a chance of winning a title.
1: Yeah, great. Um, I think there's a good chance they are the first in the East. And I don't think that's crazy. Um, and right now, they're the favorites it's them in Boston. It's funny. Boston's like the final test for them. It always will be um, <laughs> just with just with how they can play. Um, they're the team that can they do feel like they're the team that Kyrie has a little bit of trouble getting shots up against just mm-hmm. with their length. Um, they're a team that has historically done a good job against KD. So they'll be the ultimate test. Um, but as you said, there are pieces that have emerged since these those two teams last played this year. Seth Curry's out of the rotation. TJ Warren's in. Udo's playing still playing well um and uh joe harris is is back you know i don't know i can't remember when that boston game happened earlier this year but harris is looking good and I'm, ideally he'll be good by, by the time the playoffs roll out so yeah it's gonna be great uh i i'm i'm excited to watch the rest of the year for these guys but um i'm definitely looking at the playoffs thinking there's a good chance this is this is a good chance this team's going somewhere yeah
0: for sure but hey uh matt i really appreciate you coming on my man yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, but with that being said, this is the end of episode 36 of the Coach to Coach podcast. See you guys next next week.